Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good. Good to see you. Uh, it's our third week of Advent. We started week one lighting the candle of hope. We talked about Zechariah, this, this idea that God is coming after all our waiting, that he's coming and we have the hope of his final coming when all things will be made new. Last week, we talked about peace, lit the candle of peace, and, and saw that really the pathway to peace is what Mary did, to say, I am the Lord's servant, to understand where you fit, and then to say, may it be to me, as you have said, to surrender to God's leading, however that looks, however ununderstood it is for you at the moment, but to surrender. And today, we're actually going to move to the next step of uh, Mary's journey and look at her visit to her relative Elizabeth. I know I grew up thinking she was a cousin, uh, and that may be true, but the word uh, in Greek is actually just a relative. So we don't know exactly how they were related, but that they were. Um, and we light this candle of joy today. Um, like Laverne just sang that magnificent, this song of Mary, that, that my soul exalts or rejoices in God, my Savior. And we pick up the text right where we left off last week in chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and we'll start with verse 39 to 56. At that time, Mary got ready to a town in the country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and grew. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped home, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in her voice, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. I so faithful should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich, the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Now, what, what we're looking at today is this, just this continuation of the story um, and, and I want us to see where what's happening to Mary and what's happening in this interaction with Elizabeth and the song really kind of intersects with our lives, where we come into this story. My, my hope is that by the end of this, seeing where you fit in the story that God is telling will, will give you this foundational joy in your life so that when, like Mary, you're going to encounter these circumstances that you weren't expecting, things you weren't prepared for, when that happens... You have this bedrock of joy knowing that you're in a bigger story than even you can understand. So first, let's look at that moment at the house of Elizabeth because for Mary, it was very much a moment of confirmation. Her greeting to Elizabeth and, and the response there was a moment of confirmation. Last week, she heard this message from God through Gabriel and she promptly headed off to visit her relative Elizabeth because Elizabeth was pregnant and she'd heard from an angel too. Mary thought she'll understand 
and, and she could understand more than Mary could have imagined. Her, her words, Elizabeth's words, continued this work of God in Mary's life. Three things that happened here that must have affirmed Mary, I think, in a very deep and profound way. And what we see that probably doesn't seem as weird to us as it should is that in verse 41, there's a, a giving of the Spirit, right? Mary greets Elizabeth. Hey, Elizabeth, I'm here. Come over for a visit. And two things happen. John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb jumps. Now, I, I, I've never had that feeling. I do remember uh, my oldest, Rebecca, kicking me in, while we were sleeping one night. Uh, Angela was pregnant and laying up against my back, and I remember getting kicked and woken up by my child. But it, so I can, I can, you know, surrogately, I guess, feel that kind of thing. But you moms know what that is. But the baby leaped in her womb, it says, and then it says, and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's unusual at this point in the biblical story, right? Throughout the Old Testament, what we do see is that from time to time, God would give prophets or people the spirit, the spirit would indwell them so that they could be prepared for certain tasks. If you go back and read about the building of the tabernacle, the craftsmen who were building the tabernacle were given the gift of the Holy Spirit so that the work they did would actually be of, of superior quality. They were empowered by the Spirit to be better craftsmen than they could have done without the Spirit. And throughout the Old Testament, we see prophets, sometimes kings, were given this gift of the Spirit. But, but Elizabeth, this, 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 this was out of the ordinary. This, this woman, who's the wife of a priest, receives the Holy Spirit. It's a huge shift that God is picking her out to do something really important. Now, it, I want you to realize, too, the Spirit still comes for people to empower us to do things. It just it started at Pentecost that all believers get the Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. But all of a sudden, Elizabeth, at this moment, has God living in her, indwelling her, uh, speaking to her, empowering her, and giving her understanding. And what, what comes out of that is a deep sense of knowing, a deep sense of knowing. It says, in a loud voice, she proclaimed, she knew some things. She knew Mary was blessed. She knew Mary was pregnant. She knew that the child was the Messiah. Now, some people might say that's just feminine intuition, right? You women scare me with your intuition abilities, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be over-stereotypical, but I grew up in a house with a wife and four daughters, and I would sit at the dinner table, and there would be conversations that would be had. And then the next day, someone would release this piece of information that I didn't know, and I'd say, how did you know that? And they would say, we talked about it last night at dinner. And I would think back to that conversation in my mind, and that information never came out. It was never verbalized, but they just knew. They picked up on it somehow. I've always felt really stupid in that <laughs> situation because they all knew this. Right? And yes, I, I believe that there's this such a thing that, that women are, as, are, are better at intuiting things and picking up on these subtle cues. But that's not what was happening with Elizabeth. Luke makes it clear that the Spirit is now on the scene and he's teaching her things, telling her things that she would have no reason to know in any other way. We're going to talk about how we know today in Sunday school. And often, the strongest type of knowing is the knowing that you know, but you don't even really know why you know it. Have you ever had that sense? I know it. I know it. I just know it's true. I can't really put it into words. Well, Elizabeth has the Spirit in her telling her 
This is Mary. Mary's blessed. Mary's pregnant. And the child that's coming is the Messiah. One other thing she knew was that Mary had believed what the angel told Mary. And that inspires Elizabeth to give Mary a blessing for belief. You know, twice you see Elizabeth say, bless toward Mary, and once toward the child in Mary's womb. But she says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord said is actually going to happen. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Um, Verse 39 says, straightway, or at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. It kind of sounds like, uh, you know, Mary got up from her house in Hope, and she walked to see Elizabeth in Silver Creek. Right? Sounds close. It's actually 90 miles away. It's a long journey. And, and my, my theologians class taught me to look that up on Google Maps, and that's the same as here as from here to Vancouver. Okay? And, and it'll tell you on Google Maps that if you want to walk that, it's about 31 hours of walking time. Okay? So Mary, I'm sure she didn't walk straight. I'm sure she took a few days, but she had 31 hours walking, traveling to see Elizabeth. And I'm wondering what that was like, you know? Maybe some questioning started in her mind. What am I doing? <laughs> did, that, did that really happen? Maybe there's some excitement. Have you ever had an experience that was really quite profound? And then a few days later, you start second-guessing yourself? You ever had that? I can see Mary walking there and just, you know, maybe not verbalizing it, but, but having questions, trying to think, did that really? I mean, yeah, I saw an angel. But did I really see an angel? You know, can I be sure? Did that really happen? Lots of time to think. And lots of time to wonder. And Elizabeth immediately affirms her with this, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the one who believed that what the Lord said has been accomplished or will be fulfilled for her. And the impact is Mary filled with praise and joy. And it comes across this, this song. The experience with Mary filled, uh, experience with Elizabeth filled Mary with praise and with joy And it inspires a psalm that today we call the Magnificat. It comes from the Latin word for glorifies or magnifies. Mary sings of her life and she sings of God's character. Let's let's hone in a little bit on that. First of all, she sings in that first part, and that's mainly what Laverne's song was about, how God, how has God changed Mary's reality? Verse 46 to 49, she talks about who she is, He's, he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant, and from now on, all nations, all peoples will call me blessed. I couldn't help but think, maybe it's because I had kids doing that genre, but anybody ever seen the Disney movie for Hercules? Ever seen that movie? Some of you, okay, this illustration's going to fall flat, but there's a song in that movie, From Zero to Hero, because Hercules goes from a nobody up to this great mythic creature, strength beyond compare, right? And that's Mary, she's gone from zero to hero, her, her total status has changed. She represents the most powerless and most insignificant people in her society. She's young, she's female, and she's poor. She represents a nobody, and, and she knew that. And yet God has chosen her of all people to be the mother of the long-awaited Messiah. Right? Zero to hero. Her lowliness, which in human eyes would surely disqualify her for being considered for this job, right? If you looked at her from a worldly point of view, from the, the society around her, they, she would not be the one that they would expect that this would come through. 
But the beautiful thing is, and, and the rest of her song kind of says that, that makes her exactly the person that God wants to use. She says, he's been mindful of my humble state, not my strength. <laughs> he's been mindful of my righteous life. No, that's not what she says. He's been mindful of my worthiness. He's been mindful of my potential. No, he's been mindful of the fact that I was a nobody. He knew my humble state, and now the mighty one has done great things for me. She's gone from low to, to exalted, all because of God. And that, that comes out of what we talked about last week, that she knew where she fit in this. I am the Lord's servant, the doulos, the slave. And then the surrender that follows, may it be to me as you have said. See, the reality, and I think you may have felt this at times, the reality of being used by God is that when it really happens and you know it was God doing it, there's no one more surprised than you. You can't believe it, that God has done something like that. And there's a joy that comes from being used in our humble state. There's a joy that comes from that. And when you get that, you know that it's the mighty one who's done it for you. And then Mary moves on from thinking about what's happened to her, actually to describing the nature of God. That's the rest of her song. God's concern and care for lowly Mary is not just kind of a one-off. He's just reached down and picked this one person that he, that he wanted to use. It's an example of his care for the lowest in all the world. And it's a part of his nature. It's a part of the way he works. Starting with verse 50, down to 54, his mercy extends to those who fear him over all generations, right? It's, it's a past tense statement. It, it, there's this power in verse 51, scattering those who are prideful. Verse 52, he's brought down rulers, but he's exalted the humble. Verse 53, he's filled the hungry with good things, but he sent those who are rich away empty. And then last of all, he's helped his people, Israel, keeping his promise to Abraham, that promise we talked about a few weeks ago, that God would bless all the world through Abraham. See, th this past tense that's used in all these verbs, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a sign that this is a habitual action of what God does over and over again. And, and, and what we see here is really, and it, it's something that you cannot help but but see, if you read the scripture, if you look at Jesus, God always has this preferential option for the poor and the broken and the needy. He really does. He, he, he wants to lift up the humble and the broken. And those who are arrogant and full of themselves will, will be brought low. God's values are so different than the values of the way the world functions. His methods are so radically different than the way the world functions. And it's so different than what we think is important. And, and, you know, a lot of times we don't really give thought to this. We just kind of react out of the normal ways. We, we treat people who are powerful and strong and smart and wealthy differently than we treat people who are broken and needy. And yet God sees it the exact opposite way. And we, we don't verbally say that. In fact, most of us Christians would say, no, no, that, I don't do that. But when we look back at our lives and our actions, very often what we do is exalt the proud and the arrogant and the powerful and demean the humble and the needy. And God goes the opposite direction. He is so different from our way of thinking that he calls a poor Jewish girl that nobody knew about 
except him and her fiancé, Joseph, and probably her parents. <laughs> Nobody really thought much about her. And yet she's the one he chooses to be the vehicle for him to come in human form. It's, it's a powerful song. It's a prophetic song of praise that Mary sings. This little Jewish nobody whose surrender is forever going to change the world. And then, in verse 56, the song just ends. And I, I tend to like things like this. Like it, just as he promised our ancestors, and then verse 56... Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. How normal is that? Right? She's got this huge exalted song of God's, he's, I'm going to be exalted. People, all, people are going to exalt me because he's been mindful of my humble state and this is what God's like. And oh my goodness, he, he raises up the poor and he brings down the wealthy and the arrogant and the strong. And then at the end of the song, okay, I'll stay. Yeah, I'll stay for supper, sure. I'll be here for a few months. You need some help? It, and, and what I like that about, she's got this beautiful moment, and then life goes on. Because you know what? <laughs> we can read this passage and think all of Mary's life was this exalted moment, but it wasn't. Right? She stays with Elizabeth probably until John the Baptist was born, based on the timing, for another three months. She begins to help her pregnant relative. And based on that timing, like I say, John the Baptist comes, and then eventually she heads back home. Her life went on, and, and, and we don't know a, a, what it was for that period of time. And, and I think the thing that we get lost in sometimes is expecting God to make a constant thing of our life of these big affirmations or these big powerful moments or these you know, explosions of God's grace and something happening when the reality is most of our life is just day after day after day. We don't know what her pregnancy was like. We don't know what that next conversation with Joseph was like. You know, we want to live in that moment of clarity that she had in that song. We want to think, that's how I want to live, every moment knowing that God's been mindful of me and that's what he's like. But then day after day after day just goes. And that's why it's so important that we come back to this foundational understanding of what's really going on in this story, what's going on underneath it all. Because in our day-to-day-to-day existence, which can sometimes be boring or frustrating or painful or difficult, I would, I would doubt that many of you have had more mountaintops than you've had valleys. Valleys tend to be harder and more predominant than the mountaintops. And if, if we're going to live through that, we have to understand this underlying story that we're living into. And that's what brings us joy, this larger story we are invited into. What we see in Mary's life, this, this embracing of the call and the joy that comes out of that, is, is, it, it parallels what we are called to do. Because the story that we see happening in Scripture from the beginning, from Genesis all the way up to Revelation, is the story that our lives get enfolded into. That's, that's a part of why we're here. And as the Spirit leads us, God uses our prayer of surrender. We are the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. He uses that prayer of surrender to communicate to the world who he is. And that, being a part of that, despite our circumstances, is what leads us to joy. There is this thing that God's doing. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 1. And he made known to us the mystery of his will. 
according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment. What is that mystery? It's this, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. That's the story. That God started in Genesis and everything fell apart when we went our own way, but the whole mystery of his will that he's doing, what's going on right now, is this plan to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And there are some themes or ideas that stand out to me as we see Mary going through this story, and they apply to us as well. To be a part of this thing that God's doing, this bringing all things together under one head, even Christ, these things stand out. First thing I see about Mary is Mary had been shaped by Scripture. She was able to say, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said, because she, her life was saturated in the Old Testament. Now, Jeff, how, how do you know that? Well, I've got some bad news for you. You may think Mary was a great songwriter, but her song was plagiarized. If she had submitted that in the university, she would have been kicked out of the university because she stole so much material from the Old Testament, most specifically from, from the, the prayer of Hannah. Do you remember Hannah? Hannah was married to Elkanah. She wasn't having a child at all, and she, went, she prayed, and, and Eli the priest thought she was drunk, and, and, and she said, no, I'm praying. I want this child to come. And she, she has this baby named Samuel. She turns him over to the temple to be raised by the priest. And you know all the stories of Samuel. Well, Hannah prays in 1 Samuel. The Lord brings death and he makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It's not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Mary is picking up these themes that are not only here in Hannah's prayer, but all throughout the Psalms. She's plagiarizing. And the reason she's doing it is because she's she's got words because she's been saturated in the story since her childhood, she has words to express her part in the story. She's realizing what's going on because she's saturated and shaped by the scripture. When the, when the moment comes, when it all comes clear to her, even just for that, that song, she has words because she's been soaked in the scriptures. And a key thing for us to experience the joy of being part of this mysterious story that God's telling, we have to be shaped by the scripture. We have to have those that in our head, we have to get that, that what happens in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus builds to what happens in Revelation. We have to begin to, to understand what God is like, the kind of God that, that lays out his story this way. I remember uh, when my kids were little, three or four times I read through the Chronicles of Narnia as they went to bed at night. And uh, I would sit down at the end of the hallway and we'd read through all seven books. And I had I read those books when I was a kid. I started, I think, when I was about 8 or 10 years old. My sister had a children's literature class at university and brought home the Chronicles of Narnia. And for about six or seven years, every summer, I would read all seven books of the Chronicles of Narnia. I just love those stories. But you know what was funny? When I started reading them to my kids, I started seeing all kinds of different things that I hadn't seen before. 
all these, they were, when I was a kid, they were just these great, powerful, beautiful stories. And yeah, Aslan's kind of like God. I got that, that the lion is kind of a God-like figure. But, but as I'm older, as I've, as I've spent time hearing and, and experiencing God in my own life, I start reading these stories again. And all of a sudden, I'm saying, oh my goodness, look at this, look at that. All these things are coming alive to me because I, I'm, I'm, I'm more saturated in the story. And I think in a very, very similar way, we need to be so aware of the story that God is telling that as our lives go by, we can see that's him. Oh, yes, he exalts the humble. That's what he does. He uses people that nobody would think are usable. He cares about people that nobody else cares about. That's what he's like. To pick up on the things that's happening, to know who God is and what he likes to do so that we can see it. You ever learn things, as we live in a relationship with a person, we learn things. When Angela and I first got married, I was trying to be a good husband, right? So I would plan surprises for her. And the funny thing was, they never went great. She was appreciative, but they were never the big event I thought they were going to be. Part of it was because I'm really horrible at gift buying and planning surprises. I'm really bad at that. I've sort of learned that about myself. But after a few times, I began to realize that my wife, what she likes even more than the surprise is the anticipation up to something. If we're taking a day, if we're going out for dinner, she wants to have the two weeks ahead of time to think about that and, and to be excited about it and to look forward to it. See, she, I, I began to realize that Angela's story is different than what I was expecting and, and was able to live now according to that story, so, and it takes the pressure off me. I don't have to make these big surprises anymore. I say, hey, why don't we do this? And then we plan it together, and the anticipation builds, and it's joyous, right? As you get to know people, you, be able, you can understand what they're like and, and you understand how you work with them. Same thing with God's story. That's why it's so important that we have to be shaped by Scripture. And how do we do that? I, I get it. I'm, I'm, one, I'm a reader. I'm an, I like to study. I like to read. And some of you aren't. Some of you, that's hard for you. But there's a lot of practice of coming to worship together, coming to Sunday school, listening to to audio, even watching that series, The Chosen, just to get the stories of God, just to try to understand what he's like. Those kind of things shape us so that when we see him working in our life, we pick up on it faster because we've been shaped by it. And the good news is we don't have to do this alone because in Mary's case, in regards to her calling, the Spirit affirmed it in relationships, right? Right? I, I, I'm assuming she had some doubts and struggles on that walk to Elizabeth. Maybe she didn't. Maybe I'm completely wrong there. But one thing was for sure, after the experience with Elizabeth, she knew. She knew. God had affirmed her calling in the space of this relationship. And often we see his story and our role in it more clearly as we interact with other people. We just finished last week that sharing our story, Sunday school class that Carrie led. Phenomenal experience for people just to hear other people's stories because we begin to realize God's working in their life the way he's working in my life. And very often, we need those relationships to help us understand. We began to see, as we listened to the different people she had talked to in their stories, how God works in their life and in my life to fulfill that mystery, the bringing together of all things under one head, even Christ. We could see how it plays out. And... and our tendency is to isolate ourselves, to not tell our story, to not listen to other stories, because we're afraid. But it, it's in the affirmation of these other stories that we, again, see God at work. It, it involves all of us, and we all play a role. And sometimes, as I share my story, people see God at work in it and tell me, and they see things that I didn't realize at all. 
and I can do that for them. Part of joy is being so saturated with Scripture and the story and knowing what God is like that we pick up on these plot points and we see them in our life, we see them in other people's lives, and we can share that together. And it brings a deep joy because as we share that with each other, how many of you um, at Christmas, your favorite thing about Christmas is giving a gift and watching somebody get that gift that they love, right? There's something about the sharing of it that brings, oh, it's fun to buy it, but, but yes, you're buying it, you're wrapping it, you're always thinking about when they get it. And that, that moment of sharing, I got you something because I love you and here it is and you love it and it's great. So much of our story and God's story, the joy comes out of it when we share it with each other. When we see God at work in somebody's life and they see God at work in our life, there's this great passage in Luke 10, 21. Jesus sends out a bunch of disciples and they come back and they're telling all the stories and it says this picture of Jesus. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was for your good pleasure. I can see Jesus just laughing. He's hearing the stories, and he's looking at these disciples that he sent out who were not the top of the cream of the crop. And yet they've seen God at work, and he's just laughing, saying, yes, that's the way the Father likes to do it. I'm so happy he's doing it. And he's sharing that moment with them, right? Full of joy by the Holy Spirit. He knows that God likes to use the lowly, and he's picked the lowly to follow him. And, and now God's using them, and he's like, yes, this is exactly the way it's supposed to be. Another final aspect of joy, one, one so big that I'm going to have to give it to you in two subpoints, is this. For Mary, her life would be a vehicle, and our life will be a vehicle. Mary's great joy and her praise flows out of the fact that she's going to be a vehicle through which God will come. And that's the calling for us as well. I know we men feel uncomfortable being compared to Mary, but guess what? We are giving birth to Jesus in our life every day. Paul prays in Galatians for the Galatians, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. It's this whole idea of the fact that Jesus still comes to the world, he's still born into the world through our lives. We are a vehicle by which Jesus is known in the world. We live him out. We give him birth in our actions. You know, last week I talked a little bit about the surprise that people had when we hosted people and that they were surprised that, you know, some people came to the door and they said, well, I'm not religious. Okay, get away. You know, it's just so strange to me. But, but what, was, what was amazing to me is that's the opportunity. for They have this picture of Jesus as exclusive or the church as exclusive, and it's a chance for us to give birth to who Jesus is right here. No, he welcomes you. He would love to have you come in out of the cold. Our whole life becomes this manifestation of Jesus to the world. That's, that's the calling. That's the part of the mystery that we're playing to bring all things in heaven and on earth under one head, even Christ. And it's, 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 it's where he actually overcomes who we are. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, like Mary, our lives are to be a vehicle to express the nature of God. Almost every wedding, 
I mean, I know you guys would like to think if I do your wedding that I've really thought through all these things and I'm coming up with this fully creative idea. But I have some things I say pretty much at every wedding. <laughs> if I married you, you probably heard this at your wedding. I tell couples, I say, one of the things you don't realize is what you're doing here today is more than just loving each other, more than just making a commitment to each other. What you're doing is you're, you're giving yourself as a blank canvas to the world that God can paint his self-portrait on. Because as you forgive one another, as you love one another, as you serve and sacrifice one another, the world gets a picture of who God is. And that's exactly how we, married or unmarried, that's exactly how our lives are supposed to be. Jake and I were talking this week about how quickly we get sucked down into these information um, wormholes. <laughs> and, and we want to know things and we want to research and we want to study and, you know, about the pandemic or politics or even theology. We can get so wrapped up in the, the information. And the call really is to mirror Jesus to the world, to love the way Jesus loved, to serve the way Jesus served, to be a vehicle through which the nature of God becomes obvious. And it doesn't happen without Mary's prayer of surrender. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said, but that's the call to really enflesh the life and love of Jesus to the world that we encounter every, each and every day. Paul writes about it all the time. If you, what's interesting is as he tells us to do things, very often he, he refers back to the fact that it reflects who God is. Look at Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. He doesn't say don't lie because lying's wrong. He says don't lie because that doesn't reflect who God is. The new self is looking like God. Again, in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, you were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, right? Created to be like God. Our, our obedience is so that the world can see who Jesus is, and it's hard. Anybody else think that's hard? I mean, I, I love this quote from uh, the brothers Karamazov. One of the, I think it's the elder who's talking, and this is what he says. The more I love humanity in general, the less I love man in particular. In my dreams, I often make plans for the service of humanity, and perhaps I might actually face crucifixion if it were suddenly necessary. Yet I am incapable of living in the same room with anyone for two days together. I know that from experience. As soon as anyone is near me, his personality disturbs me and restricts my freedom. In 24 hours, I begin to hate the best of men, one because he's too long over his dinner, another because he has a cold and keeps on blowing his nose. I become hostile to people the moment they come close to me. But it has always happened that the more I hate men individually, the more I love humanity. Isn't that the case, right? We, we, we want to be like Jesus to the world, but then people are so hard to love. Came across this cartoon from the Peanuts, right? Lucy says to Linus, you a doctor? Ha, that's a big laugh. You'll never be a doctor. You know why? Because you don't love mankind. That's why. And Linus says, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. And I think that's, that's it. You know, we have these lofty ideas. We will be Jesus to the world. But the world includes that person right there that drives you crazy. See, God wants to reconcile all things in heaven and on earth into under one head, even Christ, even the people that drive you crazy, even the people that hurt your feelings. 
even the people that make your life difficult. And what he says is, he says is, I, I, I want you to be the vehicle through which that person comes to understand the nature of who God is. That's what I want. And our response should be, okay, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. See, the calling is that God loves people, and he gives hope to people. He makes peace possible, and he calls us to be the vehicle through which it comes. And, and surrendering to that, surrendering to that call, seeing the story play out all around you and stepping up to play the role that God has given you, that, my friends, is what leads to this underlying sense of joy that the world can never take away. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Mary and her obedience. I pray that, that even though we see her as this example of faithfulness and surrender, that we wouldn't forget that she's normal and ordinary and that she had questions and struggles. And God, just help us to, as, as she said, to, to, to realize our place as your servant, as your slave. Help us to surrender. Help us to, to be able to pick up on your story, what you're doing to reconcile all things on heaven and on earth under one head, even Jesus Christ. Help us to see that and to participate in that and to, to embrace and dwell and live in the joy that comes from being what you have called us to be. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Amen.